This evening we want to continue in our series, studying the Ten Commandments, Living for God, is what we've called this series over the last four weeks. And tonight we're considering the Fourth Commandment under the heading of, Call the Sabbath a Delight. Call the Sabbath a Delight. And we're going to look at that from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and then we'll turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 38. But first, we'll give our attention to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Let's give our attention this evening to the reading of God's Word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here ends the reading of God's Word this evening. And then we'll turn in our forms and prayers. That's this maroon book in the pew in front of you. To Lord's Day 38, which can be found on page 246 in the forms and prayers. Question 103. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment to which we respond together? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's Word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, And let the Lord work in me through His Spirit. And so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. My most dear friends, as you drove here this Sunday evening, how many cars did you pass? On Sundays here in West Michigan, our highways are filled with vehicles but we know that church is not their destination. Our malls are filled with busy shoppers on this Sunday. Gas stations have to jack up the price because Sunday's the busiest day of the week. And apart from Chick-fil-A, restaurants need more employees because of how many people come to buy food today. But once you get to church, after passing all those cars, look around, we see that there's room to spare. We get to our Sunday school rooms and we see that they are empty. You see, brothers and sisters, in North America we live busy lives. We commonly refer to our lives as the rat race. We work 40 or 50 hours a week. We serve on committees and boards. We have houses to clean, lawns to care for, 
children to teach and discipline, soccer and ballet practice. We just need a break. And that's why one of the most cherished things God gives His people is rest. I'm reminded of David's words in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord promises rest. David says there's rest for those who are stressed out. If you're depressed this morning, there is rest for you. But yet, for the culture and the world in which we live, rest seems to elude us. We're often burnt out. At our wits' ends. Needing a vacation. And so this evening, I want to consider with you the subject of the fourth commandment, but even more so, I want to show you how the true doctrine of the Sabbath is a promise of rest. Because intrinsically bound in this commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, is a promise that we can trust Him. That we can put down our work and our events and even in some ways our responsibilities and trust that God will be our provider. That He will be the one who sustains us He will be our Deliverer, and He will be our Savior, not ourselves. That's our theme for our time together this evening. Look to the Lord of the Sabbath for your Sabbath rest. Not to you. Not to your boss. Not to Bermuda or the Bahamas. Look to the Lord for your Sabbath. Sabbath rest. We want to see this in three motions this evening. The principle, the purpose, and the practice. Let's look first at the principle. As we turn this evening for our Scripture lesson to the Acts of the Apostles, we are looking at what is commonly called the model church. And this passage has been one of those bedrock passages for defining how the church has operated for the last 2,000 years. And those first two words of verse 42 are so important. Look at, me, look at them with me in your Bible. And they. Meaning, those who have just responded to Peter's invitation of the Gospel. These are the people who had just heard of Jesus' crucifixion and exaltation. These are the people who just repented and were baptized. They have received His gift of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, but that is not all they received. They also received a community. They joined the church. You see, in the Bible, there is no such thing as an individual, personal faith apart from the body of Christ, apart from the church. And what we see them doing is that they devoted themselves to God's will in the fourth commandment. We'll see this later in the book of Acts and the later New Testament. But what this community is doing in Acts chapter 2 
devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, they're doing it on the Lord's Day. But where did this idea of a Lord's Day come from? If you flip back in the Heidelberg Catechism to question 92, it tells us, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, which means to cease. Cease your labors to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. And notice here where Moses says the Sabbath begins. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And He rested on the seventh day. The idea that one day in seven needs to be put aside for rest and worship predates the Puritans. It predates your grandma and grandpa in the Netherlands or wherever they came from. It even predates Moses' giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It goes all the way back into creation. This is what we call a creation ordinance. A creation ordinance. And a creation ordinance is when God is, establishes a principle for His world for its good. And no matter what man does, they cannot pull it out of this world. There are three creation principles. You probably know them well. The first creation principle is that of marriage. Between a man and a woman. We see it in creation. And no matter what we do, we cannot pull that out. There's another creation principle that we should labor and do the work of our hands. And the third creation principle is that of the Sabbath. The foundation of the Lord's day is that God Himself rested on the seventh day. Now, boys and girls... You go to bed when you're tired, right? But God is never tired. And He's never weary. So why does He rest on the seventh day? God doesn't rest because He's weary. He rests because He is well pleased with His work. So that means when Moses gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, it's not a new principle. In fact, it's a principle that the Old Testament people would have been familiar with. Allow me to illustrate this. If you flip back in your Bibles, you'll see in Exodus 20, that's when Moses gives those Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments engraved in tablets of stone. But if you flip four chapters earlier to Exodus 16, we have that famous story of God providing manna from heaven. And you remember that the day before the Sabbath, Israel was commanded to take a double portion of manna. And that manna would be preserved, and then they would eat it the next day on the Sabbath. But that was well before Moses gave the command of the Sabbath in Exodus 20. What I'm trying to communicate to you this evening is that Israel of the Old Testament knew of the Sabbath before Moses told them. Adam and Eve knew the Sabbath 
Cain and Abel knew of the Sabbath, and Noah and Abraham obeyed the Sabbath. And you say, well, what does this matter to me? I'm a New Testament Christian, not an Old Testament Jew. Because our catechism is telling us here that a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. Look at question 103. What is God's will in the first commandment? That the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on this festive day of rest. The New Testament is not removing that creation ordinance of resting and worshiping God on the Sabbath day. Instead, it strengthens that principle. When Jesus said that He is the Lord of the Sabbath, He is not saying that He abolishes the Sabbath, but that He shows us what true Sabbath practice looks like. You see, the Pharisees of old bound up heavy burdens upon the Jews. They made the Sabbath day, which means to cease, literally to cease doing anything. They couldn't cook. They couldn't clean. They couldn't visit grandma and grandpa. They couldn't do anything. And then Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospel of Matthew. And on the Sabbath day, He's healing. He's preaching. He's doing doing good. He's actually showing us the heart of the Sabbath. See, so much of the modern day Sabbath practice is do and don't do. But the heart of the Sabbath is this. Delight in God. Delight in God. That's what they're doing in Acts 2. They're eager. They're so eager, they don't just go to church, they also go to the temple. They're in each other's homes, having fellowship, breaking bread, studying the apostles' teaching. They're eager. And they are doing it on the Lord's day. Now one question that needs to be addressed, a lot of our young people don't know this, but why do we meet on Sunday? Have you ever worked with somebody who might be Jewish or a um, Seventh-day Adventist person who says, well, you Reformed, you say that you follow the law, but you don't meet on the Sabbath. You meet on Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. Why do we meet on Sunday? We're going to be looking at a lot of Bible verses this evening, so I want to invite you to have a finger in a Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 23 where we see this principle maybe most clearly as to why the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 23, we read of Jesus' burial, and we learn of His crucifixion and burial, which took place on a Friday. But at the end of Luke chapter 23, we read this. They buried Jesus, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. That is, on the Saturday, on the Sabbath day, Jesus' body lay in the tomb. But read the next verse in chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, 
At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That was on Saturday, their hope was dead. On the Old Testament Sabbath day, there was no hope of salvation. The Gospel seemed to have been dashed and pulled apart. But on Sunday, the promise was alive again. That the grave could not contain Jesus Christ. His power was too great. God's plan was too perfect. God the Father rose Him up from the dead. And He wasn't raised as a broken or a bloody man, but He stood in the grave as your mighty, conquering King. That was the day Satan was defeated. That was the day death's sting was removed. And the writer of Hebrew tells us that was the day Jesus entered His rest. Jesus stood up in the grave. His earthly work was done. And it was very good. God, you see this, right? God entered His rest on the seventh day. But Jesus is entering His rest on the first day. See, the New Testament Christians understood the significance of Jesus entering His rest on Sunday. What we see in the New Testament is that Christians began to treat the Lord's Day, Sunday, as the Sabbath of God, and God blesses that. Flip with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 26. And what we read there is that it was on Sunday that Jesus appeared to the disciples and doubting Thomas and proved to them that He is the resurrected Lord. In Acts chapter 2, and our Scripture reading this evening, it was a Sunday that God poured out His Spirit, Pentecost Spirit. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we read that Christians begin to meet for worship on Sunday. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul is coming to preach to the Christians on Sunday. And if you flip to Revelation 1, verse 1, you read that God's final word to His church, His final revelation of Himself, was given to John on the Lord's day. As A.A. Hodge says, It's not that the Sabbath is abolished, but the day has been changed. The Sabbath preserved, but the day has changed. So what can we draw out of this for us today, this evening? Christians, you need to remember that the Ten Commandments are God's will, not just for the church, but it is God's will for the entire world. The Sabbath is a creation principle. My little brother up in Ontario has come and worshipped with us a few times and he is a rehabilitation therapist. And while I was studying for this message, I called him up and I asked him, is it inherent in people to need a day of rest? And he said, it's interesting how even the most progressive companies today, like Google and Facebook, are all forcing people now to take a day off. It's a necessity. 
It's built into who we are. If you've ever worked for a few weeks straight, you know what that feels like. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 5, that second giving of the Ten Commandments, God says one of the reasons they needed a Sabbath was because they were a slave in Egypt. They didn't get days off when they were slaves. They didn't get opportunities to worship the Lord. They didn't have time to spend with their family. And this is why, look with me at question 92 of your catechism, the fourth commandment again. It says, you shall not do any work. You, your son and your daughter, male servant, female servant, livestock, or the alien resident. You were a slave and you were forced to work on on the Sabbath, Israel. And you may not force other people to work on the Sabbath. But congregation, don't we treat people the same way when we force people to work for us when we go out to eat, when we get groceries, or do something else on Sunday that could have been done on Saturday. Don't treat people like slaves. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Pastor, I want to be at church, but I can't afford to be at church meaning they can't take Sunday off. Because Sunday, for so many people, has just become another work day. As Kevin DeYoung says, it's Saturday interrupted by church. If we don't think that we should work on Sunday because it's a creation principle for us, should we be forcing other people who likewise are created in God's image to work on Sunday as well? God's principle of needing a day of rest, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, true rest is spiritual rest, but the principle of needing a day of rest is rooted in creation, and they too are called to be here. Everyone is called to worship the Lord and to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. For our second point, I want to deviate a little bit from the outline I gave you and first look at the purpose before we look at the practice. So returning to Acts chapter 2, what do we see the Christians doing on the Lord's Day? They devote themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And that word devoted suggests persistence. That that's not, Luke is not just describing one Sunday, but he's describing what they're doing every Sunday, every Lord's Day. And one thing I'd like to address is this list of activities. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Here the Apostle is not describing Sabbath rules. See, one of the dangers of holding to this fourth commandment as the Lord's day is that it can quickly descend into rule breaking. Rule keeping, I should say, and rule breaking. We, if you grew up in a church or a home, excuse me, that practiced this, there's lots of funny stories of rules that you could or could not do. My dad's funny story is that his mom said, you can't clip your fingernails on Sunday. That was her rule. 
And you'll hear these. You can be in a boat, but not if that boat has a motor. You can read, but it can't be fiction. And so on and so forth. We have to remember that our Lord critiqued the Pharisees for rules that didn't reflect the heart of the Sabbath day. It's not that all rules are bad, but they need to reflect the heart. Well, what is the spirit of the law? Look at the title of your sermon. Call the Sabbath a delight. I want to point our eyes again to another Scripture verse. Let's turn to Isaiah 58. I really think that this passage is that touchstone passage for trying to understand the Sabbath principle. Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 13. Beginning in verse 13, we read, If you turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, there's the spirit of Sunday, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here we see the heart of the Sabbath is delighting in God. And the way we do that is by glorifying Him. As I said, a lot of people treat Sunday like Saturday, interrupted by church. But the fourth commandment is not just about attending church, it's about keeping the day holy. Holy means set apart, sanctified. That first and foremost, our call on Sunday is to be set apart to honor God and glorify Him. Put it another way, the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. You catch my meaning. The day belongs to Him. And so when our Lord Jesus came to earth and He said the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath, He never meant to communicate that the Sabbath was to be man-centered. The Sabbath is meant to be God-centered. And remember, Christian, God is the greatest joy that we have in this world. Look, I get it. There have been plenty of Sundays before I was a minister, and some even after I am a minister, where I have not felt like going to church. I was tired. The kids were cranky. I was cranky. It was a long week. But when we come, are we not blessed? How do we glorify God on the Sabbath? Jeremy Walker says, the simple act of a willing obedience on His holy day. It's not about us. It's not about sports. It's not about relaxation. But it's about seeking the glory of God on His day. And at this point, In some churches, I would have to duck under the pulpit for saying this. But I trust not so with you. 
But is it that unreasonable? I don't think it is. If I gave you $700, I said, you can have all of it on one condition that you spend $100 on me. Maybe you've got to take me out for dinner or something like that. Is that unreasonable? No. It's only the entitled person who says, give it to me now. You have no right to impose this on me. That $700 is mine. So it is with God. He is only asking for one in seven to be set apart. And allow me to add one other thing here. If we don't want to be in church on Sunday, what do we think heaven will be like? Where we will be in constant worship and adoration of the Lord. We have to deal with our own sinfulness and the coldness of our hearts. But that's what, this is the closest thing we have to heaven on earth. Heaven will be about worshiping and praising and adoring our God. And the Bible says it will be a delight. We get to enjoy God on Sunday. It's not that we have to worship Him. We get to enjoy Him. That's why the catechism calls it a festive day of rest. It shouldn't be a day of drudgery, of woe and dullness. No, God gives it for us in that we receive so much from it. He delights man in His ordinances, His Word, His salvation, and His fellowship with the saints. If you look through the Bible, God always blesses those who keep His Sabbath. Look with me again at Isaiah 58. Look at the promises God gives to those who delight in His Sabbath. He says, Delight in this or call the Sabbath a delight, and then look at verse 14. First, you shall take delight in the Lord. That is, on the Sabbath you will be filled with delight, the joy of the Lord. Second, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. This is the imagery of riding away victorious from battle. That's how we leave the church in Christ. Third, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. This speaks of the promises of God. How we come into His church, we hold out our cups and they're empty, and He fills them to the point of overflowing. We come to worship Him and we leave blessed. That's the second idea of our catechism. See how it breaks it up into two ideas. That when we honor the Sabbath and we glorify and enjoy God, we are the ones who are blessed. Sabbath means to cease. But it's really not about your body. It's about your heart. This weekly Sabbath strengthens us in a spiritual Sabbath cessation from sin. You probably don't even realize it. But while you're singing, God is lifting your heart up. As a pastor reads the Word and preaches, it is God talking to you. As you receive the sacraments, maybe of baptism or Lord's Supper, you are being brought into closer fellowship with Christ. 
being in church on Sunday helps your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and we come again to be filled once more. God isn't calling us to a drudgery of service. He's calling us to glorify and enjoy Him and it helps our Christian life. And so if you know me, you know that I do not believe that worship should be a dry and sterile process. I'm an emotional guy. And I want to let that out in my preaching and in leading worship here. I think you see this even in the Psalms. The joy that David and his writers have as they glorify and enjoy God. But too many people think that this pleasure in worship should just fall into their laps. Soul-thrilling worship is when our hearts make the move to God and He meets us. Congregation, you need to be engaged in the singing. In the prayer, our souls need to sound an amen. Our minds need to be engaged as the Word is being read and the preaching of the Word. You are called not just to sit and be passive, but to be active in worship. Remember that Satan wants nothing more than to distract you from glorifying and enjoying God. While you sit in the pew, we can very well say you are doing battle with the devil. So finally, let's consider the practice of the Lord's Day. Now by practice, I don't intend to give you a list of do's and don'ts. When we create long lists, we run the risk of being obsessive and legalistic like the Pharisees. I don't think it's possible, nor do I think it's productive to create a list. But inevitably, every time I've preached on the subject of the Sabbath, somebody comes up to me afterwards and asks me, well, what about, insert a particular situation. We as humans want clear-cut answers, and there are some instances that are black and white, but the Bible instead gives us principles for the Lord's Day. And the first principle that I want to draw out from Acts 2 is that we are called to be devoted to worship on the Lord's Day. Again, I say the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And notice that that's exactly what the catechism says. Why do you go to church? To learn what God's Word teaches. That's the apostles' teaching. To fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's the sacraments, and to prayer. Public worship was one of the key features of the New Testament church. We read that they were so into public worship, they were going day by day, even attending at the temple. So in addition to their Sabbath practice, they're also going daily to the prayer meetings and the reading of the Torah in the temple. Just like the Lord Jesus in Luke 4, where we read, after He was baptized, went to the synagogue as was His custom. Beloved, the early church was warned not to forsake the gathering together. Hebrews 10, verse 25. This was a call to them to devote themselves to public worship, and it is a call for us as well to devote ourselves to public worship. 
unless we are providentially hindered, we are meant to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. Now, God is gracious. He knows when a child is sick or for some legitimate reason we cannot be in church. He understands. But if we are going to be honest with the Ten Commandments, we cannot choose to be, we, or excuse me, if we are going to be honest with the Ten Commandments, to choose to not be in worship is just as much a sin as the other nine. If you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch. And now to be clear, providentially hindered does not mean while I was fishing or I'm flying home or I didn't work hard on Monday and Tuesday and so I have to make up for work on Sunday. The first principle of the Sabbath is that our first priority is worship. Our first priority is worship. First and second service. Too many well-meaning and good Christians today consider worship in the morning essential and worship in the evening optional. But the whole day is called to be in service to the Lord. You know, I wasn't raised in a church that had evening service. When I was a baby, they had evening service. And then they stopped because people stopped attending. And then I joined the URC and we started going to two services. We went to three services for many years. And there was times I was exhausted. I had a headache in church. And I'm thinking, Pastor, just wrap it up. Like today, maybe. And I found myself being blessed again and again and again. The, first, the second service is just as much a blessing as the first. And when the elders call you to worship, it is God through them making the call. Come be in His presence. The second principle is that we need to rest from our ordinary work and distractions. That's the second principle. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On the Lord's Day, we consciously put aside the things that occupy our minds the other six days of the week, and we follow the example of our Creator, and we rest from our work. Wives who are here this evening, I would imagine if you said to your husband, I want to spend time with you, and your husband responded, I'm too busy, you would not receive it well. There is no greater insult than a person who won't go out of their way to make time for you. If a human relationship is tragically broken by someone not having time for them, what of our relationship with God? Parents, be aware of sports that conflict with the Lord's Day. In Canada, I grew up in a hockey-obsessed culture. Many parents for much of the year would skip church to be with their kids in their tournaments and wherever it was. And I noticed that very few children whose parents skipped church for hockey faithfully attend church now. And be reminded for those of you who are at home that the Sabbath rest is ultimately a spiritual rest. Use it for refreshing things. 
Delete Instagram. Do something that fills your soul. Do some good reading. Play with your kids. Take a nap. Call your mom. Read your Bible. Don't waste these precious moments of rest. And finally, the Sabbath is for acts of mercy. Jesus did the most preaching, the most healing on the Sabbath. It is good for Sunday, or it is good on Sunday to care for others. Visit a widow. Host a friend. Practice works of mercy. I want to, before I conclude, I want to tell you a story that when I, I mentioned that I was raised, we didn't have a second service. In the church I was raised, and God bless them, they're wonderful, godly people, but in the church I was raised did not have a strong Sabbath practice. And so we often as children, after church in the morning, we would go to uh, the movies, we would go to different places to eat, and even when I was in the Reformed church, I was preaching there, um, this was my practice. And so one Sunday after church, Lisa and I decided, let's go get a pizza. We're driving by City Hall, and there's like 200 people standing in front of it. I think, that's strange. Didn't think much of it. Kept driving. We come back with the pizza, and those 200 people are standing in the church's parking lot. They were playing a game called Pokemon Go, which uses a map, I guess, and our church was the map of which they had to catch this Pokemon. It was on Sunday. And here I am, standing with this pizza. There's 150 people standing around me, and I'm saying, what are you doing here? We're catching this Pokemon. It's near your church. And so I said to Lisa, what do I do? And she says, well, you, you, how often do you have 150 people come to church? Stand up, say something. And so I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. I've got to get something together. I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I do Lord's Day 1? Do I John 3.16? And before you know it, they were gone. Pokemon moved, I guess, and went somewhere else, and 150 people followed them. I really regret that. Because I wasn't there, I wasn't keeping the Sabbath day holy. I missed an opportunity to preach the gospel. I had an opportunity with 150 people at the church's doorstep to share Christ with them. And I let it go. See, Christ isn't just calling us to a Sabbath rest. He's calling us to an eternal rest in Himself. Because we're not just resting our minds, or excuse me, our weary flesh. We are resting in Him and in His promise of the Gospel. We're beginning this Sunday an eternal rest in Jesus. An eternal Sabbath. You know, Sabbath practice can be hard. Because we live in a busy world. But when Jesus summed up the whole of the Ten Commandments, including the fourth, He said, love the Lord your God. I want to suggest, as I have before in this church, that the reason we observe the Sabbath is because we love God. And we want other people to love Him too. If my dad called me today and said, Jacob, I want to spend a day with you, I would jump at the chance. Every Sunday the Lord calls 
and says, I want to spend the day with you. Will you answer the call to glorify and enjoy him every Sunday? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for the Sabbath day. And we thank you that it is but an emblem of eternal rest. When we will be with Jesus, resting from our sinful ways, resting from the weariness of this world and Satan's tactics. And we pray, Lord, that even though this is a a culture-critiquing message, it is an anti-North American practice, it seems, that, Lord, You would work in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. That You would draw us to that eternal rest in Christ our Lord and the opportunity to experience it even in part here this evening. We pray, God, Your blessing upon us as we worship You this day. In Jesus' name. Amen.